This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. Schlanger from Berlin, and welcome back, Harley. Hello, Bill. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, why don't you get right into it? Uh, you sent me quite an extensive list of topics to talk about today, so <laughs> I know you have lots to talk about. Uh, we literally on the, are on the knife's edge here. If we decide to improve international trade, transport, communications, etc., with the Belt and Road system, uh, and not go to a trade war with China, which will be cataclysmic, not only economically, but it'll lead us eventually to war uh, in Asia. Uh, we have some choices, and we have to make those choices this year, don't we? Well, let me start with a couple of things on the economy to sort of set the stage for why there's an escalation by the neocons toward war. Uh, there was a development last week that's been almost uncovered in the U.S. media. I think the Wall Street Journal had a little report on it. But there are two major companies, two major corporate groups that are involved in retail mortgages that have just suffered cataclysmic losses. One is a British group, and the other is something called the Steinhoff Group of South Africa. Now, both of them are what can uh, scientifically be called zombie companies. That is, they owe so much debt that they have to borrow money to cover the interest on the debt. Wow. That is, they're wow. kept alive by uh, cheap loans. And with the likelihood that these cheap, cheap loans will be cut back, they're now facing the prospect of, of bankruptcy. Now, the Steinhoff Group in particular uh, wrote off somewhere over a billion dollars to major banks last week one was Citigroup. Citigroup lost $372 million. The Bank of America lost $292 million. J.P. Morgan Chase lost $273 million. And Goldman Sachs lost $120 million. Now, don't worry about these banks. Don't cry for them. They deserve it. But this is the tip of the iceberg because when you look at the picture of what's happening with retail markets in the United States, We're seeing the collapse of companies such as Sears, Macy's, uh, uh, Kmart, companies that are are losing out because of Amazon and and other kinds of of, uh, delivery services. But the problem is not so much that they're losing their sales. 
It's that they're all holding very large overpriced mortgages on large commercial properties. And the estimates are that we could be seeing hundreds of billions of dollars of losses yeah, in the commercial the, real estate markets. Let me add something to that, and it'll be very brief. The commercial real estate blowout is much bigger than the mortgage blowout with properties that were given to people that didn't qualify for mortgages in 2008-9. This commercial blowout could start a tsunami, shouldn't it? Well, that's the point. And the commercial uh, mortgage market on retail is one area of the growth of corporate debt, which now U.S. corporate debt is over $14 trillion. But here's the interesting figure. Since 2012, U.S. corporations have borrowed $4.5 trillion. Or the, I'm sorry, the net debt is up by $4.5 trillion. That's not how much they borrow. That's just the increase in their total debt. But at the same time, they've bought $2.7 trillion worth of their own stocks. So these are companies that are going into debt to buy their own stock. But you think that this is a side effect, by the way, of some of the money that's going to go corporately with this tax breakout, that some corporations aren't going to give money back to the customers or bring money repatriated here or build new services. They're buying back using this debt thing uh, their own corporation. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, but this is precisely the point of the, the uh, tax reform. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase called it QE4, quantitative easing 4. The really? These are zombie companies that need cash, and they need it in whatever way they can get it. So the tax reform is one way you can give cash to some of these corporations, but they don't dare to invest in a new plant and equipment, research and development, job training, things of that sort. Do you think that should have been a part of condition of the tax reform? Because basically 90% of the money that's going to flow through from the next 10 years is not to the citizens, it's directly to corporations, and it's a trickle-down. I don't believe Nancy Pelosi about the crumbs thing, but the fact is that the primary thing is we don't have a, a edict to say this is how you rebuild real economy, a real structure like you talked about in LaRouche's for decades, about building real economy Hamiltonian-wise. What we have mm-hmm. is a situation where it's, a, it's basically another bailout for some companies, not all of them, but these zombie companies could tear down the entire economic system, couldn't they? And the commercial bailout uh, situation could blow the economy all to pieces. Well, they need liquidity in whatever way they can get it. And if, in fact, the Federal Reserve is going to shut off the spigot, which I don't believe, but if they do increase the rates significantly, these zombie companies collapse. And a $14 trillion corporate debt is larger than the mortgage-backed security debt was in 2007-2008, which was about $11 trillion. Right, that bigger, added, it's bigger. Add on wow. top of that, add on top of that $1.4 to $1.6 trillion in student debt, the auto loan debt. I heard it was actually more than that. I heard, I heard it may be as high as $3.5 trillion. That, and it was, what happened in this tax reform bill, they didn't allow the students to write off the, the interest on on their taxes, which was previously allowed, so it literally puts them in a box. It literally takes advanced students that are doing executive, you know, advanced degrees like PhDs or other technical training, and stops them cold in their tracks because they can't afford to, because they can't write off the interest. People don't know that this was buried in this bill, do they? Well, the, the whole point of starting with this 
is that the what what some people call the everything mm-hmm. bubble, which is not just the stock bubble, but the corporate debt bubble, the personal financial debt bubble, uh, uh, mortgage bubble, and so on. All of this is something that's unsustainable. Now, so what you're saying, what you're saying is, you've done a very good analysis in Larusha's. This is the one of the major black swan events that's likely to happen this year, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And we had saw some comments by the head of the Bank of China the other day, who said, "Look, we're working very hard to knock out some of this debt bubble in the Chinese real real estate market." And he said, we're, "We've got a handle on it now." He said further. Uh, we've been very conservative with new credit, making sure that new credit is going into production. That came, that came away from G, didn't it? Because they knew up to three or four years ago they had policies that were ready, ready to blow up their own economy, weren't they? Yeah, they had a problem with that, but they, they acted on it. Now, what he said is that even though the Chinese have acted to lower the bubble and to take some of the hot air out, if the Western <coughs> financial system blows, it will affect China. But what he said is that it will take the air out quicker than than uh, we wanted, but we still have a physical economy underneath it. What he's worried about is that many of China's China's trade partners, including European countries and the U.S., have nothing to back up the currency, have nothing to back up the debt, and therefore China will be affected. By the loss of buying power from its trading partners. Well, it'll kill China. I mean, I know China has a positive attitude and they're trying to keep their chin up. They know for the Belt and Road and these trade agreements uh, don't get set up with Trump, which has a dialogue. And this is why the globalists don't want him to have dialogue with Russia or China. They want us to be at a war footing, don't they? Yeah, we can get back to that after the break. Yeah, we need to know that we basically have to decide it's trade or war, and this is the year we make those important decisions. Do you want a black swan event that crashes the world economy? Because although the stock market's going higher and higher and higher, someone's running around the party with a hat pin ready to pop the balloon, aren't they? Back in a moment. Fully FakeTV.com Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So we're back. Uh, so Harley, I'd like you to kind of fill us in on the next issues that we have in our in our agenda. By the way, I want to make the statement, and I have my intel sources, which are classified. But uh, apparently, there was a missile heading toward Hawaii. It did not, from my intel sources, come from North Korea. It came from somewhere else. We don't know exactly what. We have some suspicions and a list of two or three possibles. Uh, it was knocked out by our missile defense systems, but there was a missile. It wasn't. And by the way, their system for management, there's no button you can press accidentally or hit it twice. They have a five-fail-safe procedure in Hawaiian Emergency Alert Management System, the last being two key systems that are very similar to the systems they use in NORAD and otherwise. So this was not a non-fail-safe system. This actually was triggered off because there was a damn missile. 
Now, it may not have been a warhead, carrying a nuclear warhead, but it was a missile heading toward Hawaii. People need to know that. And again, the globalists are freaking out. That's why they want to impeach Trump. They want to do anything they can to make sure he doesn't collaborate with Russia to, to bring industry to Russia, which they desperately need. And he doesn't want us to collaborate with China. That's why even Obama, the last year of his office, was going to this meeting, and they didn't even get bring over the exit ramp, so he'd get out of his plane and to go through the back exit, because they excluded China. How can you have an Asian trade deal, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, without China? How crazy is that? Well, at the same time, they were hyping the South China Sea and having head-to-head confrontation with Chinese uh, naval vessels. But just to, to finish the yeah. point on the financial crisis, yeah. uh, a lot of people were looking at Bitcoin, they're looking at various other things, and they keep missing the bigger picture, which is that there's no easy way to get out of the crisis that has been building since the 1971 end of the Bretton Woods system which is that we have shifted the transatlantic economies, that is, Western Europe and the United States, from production economies based on manufacture, based on infrastructure development, and based on constant innovation in new productive technologies. I'm not talking about digital technologies and things of that sort. I'm talking about the technologies needed to move Earth, build new materials, and uh, uh, improve the productivity of the workforce. Now, since we've had a decline in that, which is now going on six decades, we have had a bubble economy. And this bubble economy has been backed up by war production. It's been backed up by manipulation of oil markets, the oil crises, and so on. And in the most recent period, we've had 17 years now, or 16 years, of wars. Now, had Trump stuck with what he campaigned on, an end to the wars of the neoconservatives, whether it was Bush, whether it was Obama or Hillary, then they would have been, they would have lost their main weapon for sustaining the bubble. Right. And so for them, this question of breaking Trump's will to move out of the Bush-Obama political geometry is a life and death matter. And that's why the Mueller investigation and Russiagate is so important. Exactly. Because they're trying to overturn the will of the voters. What did the voters say when they voted for Trump? No more Bush. No more Obama. No right. more Clinton. But, no more but, elites. No more free trade. No more downsizing of, and shutting down of industry. And if Trump has forgotten that, and I don't think he has. No. But... If, if he, he needs to be reminded of that repeatedly, that he didn't get elected because he's going to reform taxes or, or that he's going to uh, build a wall, although people did respond to that, he was elected because of a broad approach of ending the era of these geopolitical confrontations, which have cost the United States dearly in dollars and man and, and lives. Right. And but, but, the, but the purpose of these conflicts is to maintain the conflict. There was no intention of, of George Bush Jr. or Bill Clinton or Obama at ever ending the conflict. That's why we never took actions to actually either come to a compromise and come to the table or to stop the conflict. 
We allowed well, people to run run across the Pakistani border to hit our troops and the and and so our proxies in Afghanistan, their troops, because we didn't want to send the conflict. Trump passing power over to his generals is basically saying, let's just end this. Now, that's part of the problem, but the whole problem is with China. If we don't come to an agreement, we will have a trade war with China this year. And it doesn't need to be. This needs to be something where, you know, one of the things we've talked about, why doesn't Trump bring 5,000 Chinese on a, you know, a visa to uh, engineers and technicians to start building a high-speed rail so he can be truly the high-speed rail president? Why don't they start putting fiber optic cable all across the country for high-speed tech jobs? Why don't we have complete recycling of our trash using technology developed in Japan for recycling right down to molecular cubes of, of things instead of poisoning the oceans with toxic waste? I mean, these are things we should do that bring new jobs, new opportunities, new energy, uh, including tokamak fusion, which basically the Chinese want to do. They don't want to put geriatric-style nuclear reactors. They want fusion energy. We already have it. We just don't want to share it, right? Trump, Trump needs to start by creating unemployment for about 100 people, namely the people who are working with uh, special counsel Robert Mueller. Exactly. Starting with Mueller himself. You know, well, Rosenstein is on the chopping block right now, and Rosenstein appointed Mueller. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys are in the chopping <clears throat> because the story is finally coming out that we highlighted from the beginning which is the London-based operation against Trump. Right. That if you go back to 2015, before most Americans thought Trump had a chance, <clears throat> the British were already gaming how to defeat Trump and how to, to prevent him from coming in. Why? Because they knew there would be a reaction in the United States eventually to what Bush and Obama did. Destroy the U.S. military, support terrorists, and put us in an armed confrontation or toward an armed confrontation with Russia and China. The greatest threat to the neocons is the idea that Trump will sit down with Putin, not, not for an hour or two hours, but for two or three days, and work through a cooperation in fighting terrorism, solving the situation in Syria, solving the Ukraine situation, the North Korea situation. And if you could bring Xi Jinping into those meetings, all the better. Now, here's the irony. As we're seeing an escalating attack from the neoconservatives against China, Trump had a discussion three days ago with Xi Jinping for about a half hour. And Trump came out of it saying this was an excellent talk. We talked about North Korea. We talked about trade. Uh, I really like the guy. We get along great. And the Chinese said that the talking points of the Trump-Xi discussion were very much at odds at what you're hearing in the U.S. Congress. Of course it is. The, yeah. the Congress, by all the Democrats and a lot of rhino Republicans, are globalists. They don't want to see the economy come back. They don't want to see us collaborating with other countries. <coughs> well, they yeah, just don't. They just don't want things to move forward. For example, yeah, let me give you a short list of what I think they should do in Russia. We need to collaborate so they can actually build an alternate industries to the energy industry because we're going to become the number one oil and gas producer. We need to set a, a, a cooperative system, not only between NATO and Russia and China, for cooperation against proliferation of nuclear weapons and a shared missile defense system. So nobody can use a missile against anybody else. Just like LaRouche talked about years ago. Of course, the titles for our articles will be posted up today. 
the 2018 LaRouche PAC election platform, the campaign to win the future. Time to shut down British imperial operations. And by the way, there's operatives in our government, including candidates who ran against Trump, uh, Rubio and others. Uh, and Trump must be allowed to control U.S. policy toward Russia. We must crush uh, Mueller's Russiagate scam. I don't think it should go beyond March. I think unless he ends the scam and starts a lateral investigation of the dossier and, and Uranium One and all the other hoo-ha that's going on in the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, Trump could be facing some pretty serious challenges uh, with the Democrats trying to pull out anything they can. Like, look at it after his medical exam. They tried to say he was nearly incompetent or going to have a stroke or heart attack. They're making all kinds of crazy comments that have no basis in ethics, common sense, decency, or medical facts. It's just disgusting. I can't stand watching the news, uh, even reports laterally by Fox. I can't stand watching it because it's so insane. It's so psychotic. It's so, I call it just blather rather than even news. It doesn't even have any basis in common decency. Well, Bill, let me send out a, a warning to your listeners, though, which is there's a line going around which is tied to this QAnon and certain other people, that Trump and, and Mueller are working together to bring down the Clinton operation. And that there are thousands of sealed indictments, and, and this is about to happen, and all these guys are going to prison. I don't believe that. This, this is being put out there to keep people sitting in their armchairs and watch. And I assure you... Mueller is not working with Trump. His intention from the beginning was to pull off a coup against Trump. And the only way this thing gets turned around is if the American people fight. Because you have the media, you have, it's not just the Democrats, you have corruption in the Republican Party that's unbelievable because of Wall Street. And the president has been fighting literally through a, a swamp filled with alligators. And we can't be bystanders watching this and hoping that he's going to pull it out. This is why 2018 is so important and why we put out this LaRouche Pack uh, uh, document of a platform for winning the 2018 elections. Go back to what Trump said in his 2016 campaign. Shut down Wall Street. Shut down the neoconservatives and the neoliberals with their free trade agreements and their bank bailouts and so on. Now, if you start with that and then bring in Glass-Steagall, bring in a credit policy, what you were just talking about earlier, an investment in modern infrastructure, you create jobs, you shift the situation for the American people, which is what they were looking for. And they won't vote for Democrats with no program except anti-Trump. So that's why we at LaRouche Pack are fighting to get candidates to run on this platform and to get Trump back on this platform. And if he does it, I don't think he'll have a problem in 2018, but it's, the time is becoming short. What do you think he's doing wrong now? Who's advising him that's to get him off track? What's going on? I think the financial side of his team, uh, Mnuchin and Cohen and, and a few others in there, are telling him that he should stick to cheerleading the stock market going up because this is the sign of prosperity that, the program, that his program is working. Now, if he went back and read his speeches from the 2016 election campaign, he would see that he was ridiculing that same line when it was coming out of Obama and Hillary. 
Remember, Hillary was running on the fact that Barack Obama had created a robust economic recovery that she would continue. Now that so-called robust economic recovery is continuing because of the stock market bubble, and Trump is claiming it. And I wrote an article a couple weeks ago saying that his claim that he's created prosperity because of Wall Street going up will be used to bring him down when the bubble pops, because this bubble will pop. If they pop it before the 2018 elections, it will be a washout for Republicans. You'll get a bunch of anti-Trump Democrats into the Congress, and they'll impeach him in a, in a New York second. Yeah, but they won't be able to impeach him because they won't have enough control of the Senate. I looked at the numbers, and they'll attempt to impeach him, which will be catastrophic to the economy. But he'll survive it, but he'll be a lame duck president the last two years of his term. Well, Bill, and we what, won't have a military or an economy that's capable of managing these dangers of what's coming in the next few years. Well, that's true. But what I'm saying is that if this economy blows in the summer, even some of those safe Republican seats could be lost in the oh, summer. Oh, absolutely. In fact, so, this is their plan. This is the black swan event that the globalists are planning, isn't it? And so that's why I'm saying that he has to stop cheerleading the stock market and instead shut off the flow of funds to corporations to buy their own stocks, which, well, what's that do? It drives the market up, but it also what, what, gives bonuses to the corporate elite. Why doesn't he do an executive order if he can't get it through Congress to say, hey, you got all these tax breaks, my executive order is you can't use this for buybacks. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's something regulatory has to be done so they don't go and just kind of do buybacks and don't build the real economy. Well, the other thing he could do is sit down with Democrats like Marcy Kaptur, these uh, middle-of-the-road Democrats who have been fighting against Wall Street. On this, he could even sit down and talk to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and say, look, let's do Glass-Steagall. I don't like these guys. You don't like them. Let's make them pay. And this would send a shock through the Wall Street Republicans, but they don't like him anyway. They want right. to see him fail. So I think this is the... This is why we're what we're putting out in our uh, uh, platform for 2018. Start with Glass-Steagall, uh, move to a financial system that's based on credit for production that takes away the power of the Federal Reserve to go to the private banking system to create debt. Well, they need to have a separate infrastructure and advanced, uh, you know, uh, restructuring of the physical economy. For example. High-speed rail, high-speed internet with fiber optics, uh, rebuilding bridges and roads and airports, etc. Rebuilding uh, everything basically that requires, and like for example, setting up things so that you have inner cities that aren't dying. Our cities, the way they're structured, are dying, aren't they? It used to be called a capital budget, where you right. had money for these things that were not part of the budget that included the. Uh, 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 health programs that or the military or other things yeah yeah there should be a separate budget that has nothing to do with the so-called federal budget this would be something where you're it's like buying something like a home that has value i mean your yeah. your your value you're creating something that has physical and technical value that actually expands beyond as soon as you buy it it's actually more valuable than when you bought it well and the, the other point <clears> is <throat> that the brainwashing of the post 1970s is that an investment is not worth it unless you get a higher return. <clears throat> yeah. Now, that's why all the money is going into increasingly risky investments, because 
an investment in the physical infrastructure of the United States won't create an immediate return against costs. However, it will cheapen the cost of everything through raising productivity, which means that the whole economy will profit. Right. So that you create more than you, you produce more than you had to borrow. Well, I'll give an example. Let's say you have high-speed fiber optic. In places like uh, in uh, in uh, in Asia, there's areas of Japan, there's areas of Malaysia. What's in, uh, what's that uh, city state that's in Asia that's part of Malaysia? Singapore. Uh, Singapore. Everywhere is fiber-speed fiber optic. If you're a techie or a techie kid and you're 12 and get access to things, to high-speed tech and super high-speed internet and, and and computers, by the time you're in your early 20s, you're blazing. You, you, you're ready to be hired by a company in Silicon Valley America or Silicon Valley India or wherever. That's one of the reasons why we're having multiple Silicon Valleys because their policies are not fostering, continuing to maintain that hegemony in America because other people are. You know, it's, it's Singapore is doing it in places like Kerala, India, and other places in India, or it's like, you know, uh, Hyderabad. Why do you think we're going to maintain prescience? We're not. You're going to have some smart young person in India or somewhere else who's going to develop new tech and better security systems on your iPhone, iPads, and other things, and we're going to have to buy it because we don't have, we're not fostering the structures to do it. So just having high-speed Internet will make a big difference on that whole thing, right? Oh, yeah. And it, we had to think of it like that. It's like, uh, just like China is making more techie-trained young people so that when they set up a factory, they have the people to actually do segment i want you to kind of we've got to think real positive and, and constructive we also have to be prepared for big events for example we're in a monitor cooling period we call a mini ice age we may be actually moving into a formal ice age we have the danger of climatic shift and pollution which is destroying the oceans there's more plastic in the oceans than fish now and we've got to have what we call total recycling we have to have a system where we start generating energy that doesn't generate not just uh called fossil fuels which is a pile of garbage but the idea of generating toxins into the atmosphere that can destroy the ozone layer or pollution that generates and destroys the benthic layer of the oceans and the phytoplankton. Uh, we need to be a, a positive force of energy flux density that doesn't destroy the ecosphere we're in. Or when we get off planet, if we want to terraform a planet, let's say like Mars or Enceladus or Titan, we need to have the same principles we apply in the future, right? Well, the... The question that, that you're posing is an interesting one, because what is it that should give people optimism about the future? And it, it actually starts with a self-knowledge of, of what it is that's unique about human beings. Right. You, know, you could take it from Genesis, where uh, all the rest of creation was done, and then God created man separately in his likeness and image. Right. You know, that's, that's not just an old story. That's something that showed that the people who wrote the Bible understood something about the actual uh, godly nature of man. Now, it yeah. doesn't mean that we're not without flaws, or that, that we're not uh, driven sometimes by uh, carnal impulses or other kinds of, of physical needs, 
but it means that what differentiates us from animals is that we can solve problems that are related to the ability of the species not just to survive, but to advance. Right. In other words, we have the capacity for what if. We have the what if capacity that is a godly principle. In fact, the hidden gospel of Yeshua Jesus is read back to the Pentateuch by my ancestor Moses is the fact that we are created to become part of the family of God. So when we become a galactic civilization a million years from now, descended civilizations across the cosmos, not just in our galaxy, will remember that we are the primary principle, godly principle, creating a world where other living things and other beings can survive and thrive. And we need to retain those principles now and into the future, or we won't survive not only on planet Earth, but wherever we go. Well, and the the point is that how is it that human civilization, human population grew? What LaRouche talks about is potential, the increase in potential relative population density. Right. What, What happened through much of history is there was little or no change. You had primarily rural societies run by oligarchs. But every once in a while, you have a creative genius who emerges. Uh, who comes up with some ideas that transform agricultural production, transforms our knowledge of of the oceans and and our ability to move across continents and develop machines that improve the power of man to produce. And each of those geniuses, provided there's a social system that can assimilate that, that, that educates enough young people, that we can have people who can assimilate the new technologies developed by scientific advance, you then have a possibility to increase the relative population density and at the same time increase what you were just talking about, the energy flux density. And and the the stability of the ecosystem, too, because we are increasingly making the system more fragile. We, for example, have a power grid that's extremely fragile itself, even from natural events like coronal mass ejections or just somebody deciding to blow up the power grid, step-down transformers. We're not we're not operating in the poor godly principles we have, which is to make a more stable advanced tech society, but also a more stable ecosystem for the planet. We can buffer the planet against nearer space objects like Apophis coming in 12 years, uh, Ice Age. We can actually change the thermostat of the planet so we don't have to go into a 1,000-year cooling period in a formal Ice Age. Mankind can conquer all these problems if we collaborate, can't we? Well, and, and let me come back to this point then which is that why is it that we still have in the United States where we have tremendous resources and potential, we have a population that accepted the idea of a President Bush and a President Obama that tolerated the idea of surveillance state, tolerated the idea of bailing out banks that literally stole houses and jobs from millions of people. Right. Why is it? that we weren't able to to figure that out. And it's because you have the people who control the state, who are the wealthiest and the most powerful, who have marginalized those thinkers who are necessary to challenge people so they won't passively go along with with the potential for extinction. Well, I'm sure that uh, Lyndon, over his five-plus decades of doing this publicly, and his time in prison, knows that the hardest problem is that you want to get people asked better questions. You see, he can have all these plans which he's had over decades. He's suffered persecution for it, and I'm sure your organization has. But anybody who's thinking in a godly principle of what mankind should be to the planet, we're the stewards of Earth. We're soon going to be stewards of multiple planets across the cosmos in the next thousand or ten thousand years. We need to realize we're creating a transgalactic civilization. 
We're going to start interacting with other beings from other worlds as well. We need to start understanding that unless we change the principles on which we operate collectively, whether it's other nations, we don't have to get rid of nation states, which the globals want. That's why they don't like Europe. They yeah, want Europe well, to be have, an oligarchy. What we have to get rid of is the idea of geopolitics, which is that every state is in a war against other states. Exactly. Exactly. This is what Mrs. LaRouche refers to the infantile state of mankind. That while we have ideas that, that can elevate us to a completely new status of human civilization, we're trapped in this idea of a zero-sum game, that if some other country gains, it's our loss. And what the Chinese are trying to do, and what President Trump is very intrigued by, is this idea of why can't great powers be friends and work for each other's benefit, and by doing that, help transform lesser powers so that their people can get the benefits of the more advanced scientific cultures. Now, that's exactly. how human society should function. Exactly. And so when you, you raise the question of what's, what's the basis of optimism, well, we, we first of all have to realize we face a, a very horrible situation where the neocons have insinuated themselves inside the Trump administration. They're operating outside the administration, and they're doing the same thing they did with Bush and Obama. On the other hand, Trump has not been happy with that. Trump is yeah, fighting. Trump, Trump is his own man. What I'm seeing, is, which is kind of amazing, is all these people like General Mattis and other people who want to do stupid things that are counterproductive. And at the same time, Trump says, no, we're not going to do that, Mattis. We're not going to do that, this guy. Now, when he has somebody that wants something he agrees with, and he lays them all out, he says, okay, you can do that, but don't do this. <clears throat> For example, they did a missile strike on Syria, which they had no business doing, but they didn't go and invade and put 150 to 200,000 troops in there. They didn't realize, they realized, and Trump realizes, if you're going to deal with somebody in a position of power like Putin or Xi, you have to show some respect, just like meeting an alternate you know, mafia don. But you can't just go and try to, to strong-arm them economically or otherwise or do, go into trade wars thinking it's going to be a win-win situation. It's going to be a lose-lose situation. Well, well ultimately, Bill, the, the solution to this then is that the American people who voted for Trump, and I, I know he didn't get a majority, but he, he won the states he needed to win, those people have a responsibility to fight right. for the program that he ran on and to extend that program to the full extent of LaRouche's four laws. Exactly. And people can go to they can go to our website, LaRouchePact.com, download the four <clears throat> laws, study them. You know, I'm sure at some point, Bill, you could take some call ins if people wanted to call in and discuss this on this program. I'd be happy to. I'd be delighted yeah, to take call ins. We can do that. We can also do call ins also on our uh, live stream uh, podcast because I'll have my computer back by tomorrow. We can do that sometime in the next few weeks. Cause I think we should start doing even short 10, 20 minute uh, video podcasts where people can email in or call in and raise their questions because the problem I see is that people won't do anything unless they qu ask a question, number one, and then own the truth. I consider Lyndon LaRouche and organization what I call geopolitical prophets. You're like Jeremiah saying, choose this pathway and live. Choose this pathway and die, O Israel. It's the same thing over and over again, isn't it? Choose these pathways that are, are, that are godly and energy flux density and, and infrastructure, or choose this pathway and go to a thermonuclear war in 12 years. And it's, it's no surprise that prophets are never <clears throat> accepted during their life, but you still have to tell the truth. Well, I think the thing that will transform them is I think now the black swan events are on the horizon. 
And people have a choice. Do they want to listen to fools that are globalists, like, you know, proxies from the British and the United Nations, or do they want to listen to someone that can actually give us a plan to survive and thrive, not only geopolitical and climatic disasters and the approach of Abathus 12 years from now, do they want to survive and have their descendants across the galaxy in peace, or do they want to have war and destruction and devastation? You know, the, the full spirit of mankind can't be expressed in a Luciferic world. In dialectics of opposition, it has to be godly. And that's what LaRouche has been pushing. He's, in a sense, a geopolitical prophet. Right? Yep. Back in, in next Friday. Amazing show today. Thanks. Here's a 